Hey listeners, today we discover a new cast, a new crew, and a new ship. We hear insider information from a Hollywood costume designer, and we ask the question, is it ever a good idea to telepathically communicate with an ex? Coming up. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your host, Sharice. And I'm Andrea. And today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 1, Encounter at Farpoint. All right, so this episode is written by Gene Roddenberry and DC Fontana. It's directed by Corey Allen, and the star date is 41153.7. Um, so the synopsis of this episode is that this flagship of the Federation, the USS Enterprise D, which is 78 years since the original Enterprise C, the Captain Kirk enterprises i Mm -hmm. think of it Mm -hmm. um they are launching on their maiden voyage and they're going to a place called farpoint station and they have to determine there's some mystery that the federation is asking them to kind of poke around about Mm -hmm. um and then during this episode they end up encountering um this new alien life form the q for the first time and then it kind of just all goes from there yeah okay perfect um so let's talk a little bit about our feelings (laughs) about this pilot episode (laughs) we have a lot because we have a lot. Um, Charisse, this episode was a hot mess. Like, there was just so much going on. What the hell? Yeah, I mean, as far as pilots go, this first episode was so painful to watch. And, and don't get us wrong. Like, we love this show. We love the show. Let's start from a place of love. We love the show and... Everything about this podcast is going to be about how much we love, like love with a capital L-O-V-E, love Star Trek, the next generation. But we are also uh, realists. (laughs) We're going to be like, what the hell were you guys doing here? All right. So one of the first things that like we see in this pilot episode is um, this new starship. It has a new look, a new feel. The characters have new costumes. Um, Everything is like new and different from the original Star Trek uh, Enterprise C. Yeah. So I love the TNG costumes. They're so iconic. I mean, they all are. The original series costumes are very iconic as well. When you see them, you know them. The very first cosplay I ever did was as a TNG captain. That was my first costume I ever made. And it was challenging. Like, talk oh about God, simple, not that. easy. It was yeah. Epic. You looked so freaking good. Thank <laughs> you. Had on, like, a Captain Picard uniform oh, with the eye so collar fun. and everything, I think, right? Yeah, 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 totally. I'll, we'll put, I'll put a picture if you go to um, the TNGpodcast.com. You can check it out there. I remember coming into the place where Andrea and I were working at the time, and someone walked up to me and said, why are you wearing a red shirt? All the red shirts die. And I was just like, womp, womp. That was the original series, buddy. Like, no. In TNG, the red shirts are in command. Like, I am a captain. Captains never die. Right? Um, and so that, that, yeah, I really love the costumes. And I love that kind of, like, flip that they did with not making a bunch of expendable red shirts. Yeah, that is actually really cool. And, you know, actually, one of the things that um, I want to briefly mention, because I could talk about any of these subjects all day long, is if you notice there's a difference between the costumes in the um, first season and, like, subsequent seasons. And I'm not sure exactly when they made that jump. And as we review more episodes, I'll I'll mention, like, when I notice they do the flip. But the uniforms were this kind of, like, neoprene type of material. Mm -hmm. And so so they had that kind of stretchiness. Yeah. Um, And they were basically a one-piece jumpsuit. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember reading online that they were so tight 
because, you know, you don't want something neoprene to kind of like bend and ruffle and stuff like Mm -hmm. it doesn't look good. It needed to look clean and to look sharp. Um, The characters had to basically stay seating as long as possible until they filmed their scenes when they had to be standing because it basically wanted to like pull them back down into like a seated crunch. (laughs) So standing up straight was like a stretch. And the reason that they did the switch, and this is all stuff that I've read about, so I could be wrong, but the reason that they made that switch from that original uniform to like the one that we actually know more of that has like that high collar and stuff is because the cast was like, screw this. We are not doing this to ourselves anymore. You guys have to come up with something else. And so they made them two pieces. So it was like pants and a shirt mm-hmm. after that. So, and then that's when Captain Picard gets that iconic, like when he stands up and like yeah. pulls down yeah. the bottom of his shirt, it's because for filming purposes, it had to look unwrinkled and unlike ruffled. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yes, Interesting. But, but, but now we know that is like, that's his like sign of command. Like, right. He's getting that's when he's getting down to he, business. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He means business when he pulls down the bottom of his shirt, which I think we should just all do that in life in general. Yes. Pull down the bottom of your shirt because that's how you know it's about to go down. 100% agreed. <laughs> that's how we know. 100% agreed. So we went and asked an expert, and by we, I mean Andrea, we went and asked an expert to get a little bit more information and detail about how costumes and stuff are even made. So I spoke to a costume designer who's part of the Costume Designers Guild, and she works on um, a lot of big movies and TV shows. Um, and she had mentioned that one of the really interesting things about these costumes, the, the Starfleet uniforms, is that they're very minimalist. Um, and that is actually deceptively uh, difficult to pull off. Um, so if you think about the original Star Trek costumes, which I never think about because I never watched that <laughs> show and it was like beyond, you know, it was like earlier than my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I did for researching for this podcast, like I did take a look at their costumes and they just look like freaking pajamas, like slightly shiny pajamas. Mm-hmm. It looked like. But very colorful that- and very fun. They were, they were, they did definitely look more like loosey goosey and not as structured. Um, but apparently by the year 24, whatever it is right now in this like pilot episode, things are a little bit more structured and they have like uniforms that have more purpose. So, um, the difficulty with making a costume that looks so simple is if you think about the term simple, you might throw together a quote unquote simple design, but it ends up looking like Nike athletic gear or something, just like Mm -hmm. black on black, kind of like tight. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really hard. And she actually lamented that, um, these people that she's worked with, um, who have done like the new Star Trek movies, like the ones with Chris Pine, Mm -hmm. um, they had to, you know, when you create a show from scratch, you're creating an entire universe with like constructs and rules. So like the red means command and the gold means operations and the blue means medical. Like you have to come up with this from nothing. Right. And so Mm -hmm. she was actually kind of saying that like, it's too bad that, you know, the Academy Awards for costume design kind of across the board, go to period pieces, which are cool because those costumes are really lavish, Mm -hmm. but really all you have to do is look back in time, like research on the internet, what it looked like back then. And then just copy that look and just bump it up, you know, in intensity for a movie. But when you're especially doing something futuristic, you have to start from absolute zero. There's Mm -hmm. no basis. There's no framework. Um, of like information that you can pull from. It's like really, really all new. So I was geeking out big time talking to her about um, the costumes. You know, I want to do, I do want to talk about like the set and some of the other things, but let's get into some of these characters because that is like the heart of the matter is the plot line, which was crazy. Like, oh my God, it was I, what the heck place. was going on? And then 
I don't even know. And then all the different characters. Um, we're probably not going to talk about all of them because there's a lot. But I do want to highlight a couple. Um, I know that Q is your favorite character. Andrea, oh my God. But Ugh. what did you think about Q in this episode? Was this, was this an episode that made you just fall in love with him? Or were you kind of like, wow, this guy's a psycho? Uh, <laughs> um, a little bit of both. Um, I love Q so much. Anybody who knows me as a like TNG nerd, like they know that I love Q. So um, having grown up with the whole series and then going back to rewatching them for this podcast, I saw Q and I kind of like clapped my hands together and I was like, woo! Like I was so excited to see him on screen. Uh-huh. Um, he was a little cringy for me or like the character was a little cringy showing up as like a 16th century like pirate or whatever. Right. Like, or like... Hair. I was like, William Shakespeare or something. Yeah. It was something like that. He was showing up as a captain of days gone by to, to get Picard to kind of identify, like, I'm a captain, you're a captain. I'll listen to what you have to say. But it was just, oh God, the costume was so bad. That like long hair was so, so bad. The only worst hair that I found on the entire episode was Deanna Troy's crazy (laughs) cotton ball. I don't know what that was. I was so glad they changed it going forward because it was, I mean, I like, couldn't focus on the plot because of how angry her <laughs> it was bad but I did love seeing Q I love 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 costumes so to see him in like the World War II costume and then that like crazy soldier from the future costume like those mm-hmm. were all super cool um I did watch a panel um of the Star Trek um like a, the big actors at a at a convention and John Delancey who plays Q mentioned that he got to keep those robes that he wore as he was uh-huh. on trial uh, because, and I think he was joking, but he said that those robes actually did belong to him. So most of the cast, <laughs> of the team, the costumes, of, but he said he got to keep them. And then the whole crowd went crazy. And he said, Oh, because they were mine to start with. So that's how I would dress formally to come down for dinner with my children. Of course, of course. <laughs> so ridiculous. So that did crack me up, but yeah, I yeah. loved seeing him. I did. Yeah. And by the way, that the link to that, uh, that panel that Andrea's talking about will be in our show notes on our website at um the TNG podcast.com. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So I so I love data. If any of you listen to the intro podcast, um he's like my favorite character of ever. Um not so much in this episode. I actually forgot how annoying he was in the beginning of season one where he was like this kind of like um and Gene Roddenberry says it in the TNG Bible. He talks about how data is supposed to be this repository of facts. And so he can just kind of remember everything and always spit it back, which is, which is what's cool and what we love about data. But what I've forgotten was in the first season, he's very like, um, you know, you ask him one question and he gives you like 37 responses and he just keeps going on this crazy yeah. long list. He's the actually then, guy. He's totally the actually yes, guy. Yes. Actually, what it is, is this and this and this and this. Yes. And then he'll, oh. you know, he'll keep going. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, but it actually gets kind of funny because a few episodes in, we'll see it when we get there. But I remember he even does that to the computer where he's like asking the computer a question and then he gives the computer an answer and oh, he keeps he- going and going, going. Yeah. And then the computer's <laughs> like, okay, thank you. <laughs> the computer cuts him off. The computer, even the computer cuts him off, which I was like, oh my gosh. So we'll see yeah, when we you get know to that You're episode. doing a lot when the damn computer is like, thank you. No more. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And pl- please stop. Please stop now. It's like, yes, we get it. Okay. You're hurting um, computer data. You're hurting it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and the TNG Bible that we're referring to is something that Gene Roddenberry created um, as like a writer's guide to talk about what all the characters were supposed to be, like how they're supposed to look, how they're supposed to feel, um, and a bunch of other stuff about sets and designs and all kinds of stuff. If you want to get that, you can go to our website to download it. It is the TNG Um, anyways. So 
one of the other things that I thought was interesting besides, you know, my love for data is like the little, uh, secret love interests between Troy and White Riker. Oh my God. And between Picard and Beverly. Like yes. those moments felt so like telenovela, you know? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> you could just hear the music swelling while they look at each other and the breeze is blowing their hair in the back right. or whatever. You're just like, wow, this is a really awkward moment. Uh, clearly right? there's a, a thing going on between these guys. I, I feel like they could have teased that out a little bit more over the course of the first season, but maybe they just felt like they had to put it all on the table. But the thing that killed me and I was seriously on my couch crying tears of laughter was the moment when um, Captain Picard introduces Commander Riker to Counselor Troy Mm -hmm. and they see each other and she's in that stupid shorty dress costume which kills me (laughs) like it is time to retire that it's not functional like don't drop like your tricorder because if you pick it up like you're showing everybody everything like it's just not if you drop it you just have to leave it It's just, oh, the computer just beams it to, like, your hand or something. I don't know what. But at any point, she's standing there on the bridge with her big poofy hair that has been sprayed with, like, sheen spray. So it's, like, shiny and glitter. It's just, uh-huh. oh, God, it's just so bad. But she walks over to him, and she is telepathically saying, like, can you still read my thoughts? And the music is swelling. Can you still hear me, Imzadi? Yes. Okay. And, and can I just say, at no point does he respond. So she might just be having this whole discussion in her brain. And he might just be staring at her and she Uh, thinks that she's talking to him. At any rate, the music is swelling. The breeze is blowing, right? They're just about to jump on top of each other. And the captain totally obliviously goes, oh, so you guys know each other. And Troy goes, that we do, captain. We do. Or something super dramatic. And then Picard goes, great, let's get on with our mission. I just totally missed the telenovela moment. Like I had to like rewatch it because I was like, Captain, you're supposed to be like astute and observant, and like you miss this gigantic. Like they're practically checking into a hotel, sir. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, let's get in the turbo lift together. <laughs> and along those lines, later on in the episode, when they're down on the at Farpoint Station and they're trying to figure out like what is going on, what's this weird thing going on in this station, and they go like, and they're like, okay, we need some people to go underground into the tunnels to see like what's going on underneath the station, and the rest of us will stay above ground. That's right. And Troy is quick to be like, oh yeah, Riker, you and I should probably go down. To the right. tunnels together right. yeah just us and he's like um no <laughs> you're gonna go with them and i'm going this way and she's like right. oh, okay right. i was just like oh so this painful is, this, this is, is like like thirsty troy right here thirsty she was troy oh it's like <laughs> it's like that painful moment in high school when there's like that guy you have a crush on and you're like um maybe we could go to the dance together and they're like um no and you're like yeah. oh okay yeah i i didn't want to go anyways <laughs> yeah it's like i'd rather stay home and do homework you're like ooh, you're not even choosing somebody over me you're just not even interested you just give okay. up. i was like right? oh this is so painful <laughs> that, well, just, i will say oh. i will say that troy is one of the characters that kind of confounds me the most um she however like she's very secure in like her femininity like Mm -hmm. her character the costume thank god changes Mm -hmm. um so she's not wearing that stupid cheerleader dress anymore which i'm going to talk about i'm going to call that the shorty uniform Mm -hmm. and i am doing sharice like shorty um shorty watch watch shorty watch basically (laughs) because i'm going to point out when we see those ridiculous shorty costumes and i think the best is on men because you see their like big muscular legs sticking out at the bottom of this like tennis skirt which mm-hmm. kind of cracks me up for like star trek and they also have these like clunky boots which is kind of a not not a good look <laughs> yeah yep. great but but i will say that troy kind of marches to her own beat she has her own costume she yes. has a very different way of going mm-hmm. about doing things 
but she's always pretty professional, even when she's like crying, which she does a ridiculous amount of like this episode. In this first episode. Yeah. Oh my she God. Is, all, she is just, she a just spends fountain. the whole episode crying. It's just crying all the time. Right. But like, oh my goodness, <laughs> but we do need to say she is a beta Z, which in the real world means nothing, but in Star Trek, she is like a half telepathic. So she can sense emotions. And actually in the TNG Bible, Gene Roddenberry does uh, mention that he didn't want her to be like invasively be able to read people's minds. So that's why mm-hmm. he kind of dialed back. Like you can't read their thoughts in their mind because you're getting into their space without permission, but you right. can just kind of sense their emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's always professional mm-hmm. except for that moment where she's like, Commander Riker, why don't you and I go check out this thing in this corner where we can make out? And like, that's the only time I've ever seen her be really unprofessional. Like she- Which, and it wasn't either because like, I mean, we're knowing her like ulterior motives is to get him alone, but no one else would have thought anything about that. So- That's true. Really, she's not being, she's just like, oh yeah, well you two, you know, cause we have to split up the division of labor anyway. So how about we go here, they go there. Like it didn't seem like a big deal, but Riker was just like, mm, nope, <laughs> let's go ahead and not do that. I'm He's reading in the- I'm reading in the TNG Bible right now where, um, where, so Gene is saying, I'm just gonna call him uncle Gene where uncle Gene is saying, um, <laughs> that number one is hesitant over his intimacy since Troy is now under his command and he fears that that will affect his judgment. Um, but the, the, the affair between them was meaningful and pleasant and it's difficult to end it. And so it's just, it's really funny. And then afterwards he puts, um, how Troy is like, exotically beautiful and telepathic mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And she is. Marina Sirtis was, is, she, is still a beautiful lady. Oh gosh. She she's still so beautiful. Strikingly beautiful. Yeah, yeah. She's still beautiful. 100%. Yeah. Um, and then it says the very last line in the TNG Bible about Troy is no one questions her being an able, highly valuable Starfleet professional. There you go. Which when I read that though, I was like, really? Cause on my notes, I put Troy is useless. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how I felt at the end of the first episode. I was like, she's useless. Her whole, I feel pain. What? Okay. Like what? at no point did she identify anything that like anyone else who's not a telepath or a beta Z could have figured say, out. Like I, I just, say. I literally wrote Troy equals you're, useless. You're, you are right. I think you are right in that respect. I will say this being 1987 and uh, still not making the leaps and bounds that we've made and like, psychotherapy and kind of getting in touch with their own feelings. And, you know, the toxic masculinity was still very much a thing then like sensing pain or anxiety or confusion might not have been something that anybody else was picking up on in the 1980s, but this being 2020, I can walk around and be walking around my neighborhood and see somebody in distress. And I could tell that they're in distress without having to be a beta Z. Okay. So really when, like in later episodes, yeah, maybe that's true. I'm just not feeling it. Yeah. Captain, the crew, the crew is feeling anxious. Like I could have told you that I don't have to have special powers in order to know that like, we're about to go in this like black hole or whatever, or face the Borg or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody's a little, a little riled up because yeah, there are children on board, which can we talk about that for a second? Yes. Let's talk about that. Let's talk what? about all of our families. <sighs> Why would you put families and like small children on a flagship, which is like going to be the first out to space, the deepest out to space, the mm-hmm. biggest danger. The you're first one you call in a big battle is right? the Enterprise. Right. You're the battleship. And yet you're like, yeah, let's have nurseries and like, you know, play dates and school. Uh-huh. What the hell? What the hell? Put them on like the fifth rate ship where everybody's just puddling a la- like around making. Or like, like leave them at home like the real military does. Like they don't like, I mean, so <laughs> my, my cousin is in the, um, her her wife is in the navy and they do have some you know where sometimes she can be on the ship or whatever but it's like if they're going out on back to battle or something no your families are not here your families need to be at home like right. they have no 
they have no function here. They're just a distraction here. Yep. Like you're not going to be able to focus and it's just, you're going to be freaked out for them because they are not military trained like all the other military, military personnel. And let's keep it straight. Like Star, Starfleet, it's really interesting because they are scientists, they are explorers and they're a military force. That yeah. is also what they are, even though they try to not ever say that, but like, Yes. You know, why are families on the ship? What, I, often, on? I often I um, often thought about that because there doesn't seem to be any reference towards military in the 24th century, but there are these moments where you recognize like Starfleet is billed as like explorers, but like you're military explorers. Um, you're out there resolving conflicts and getting into battles and all this stuff. But you know, actually at Farpoint Station, which let's get into the meat of the um, plot for a minute. But at one point we meet Commander LaFort or Lieutenant I don't know what his rank is at this point. He's not the chief engineer yet, but yeah. So we meet Jordy LaForge and he starts talking to commander Riker and commander Riker stops him and he goes, is this an official report? And then LaForge like stands at attention and he calls him sir and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, this is like overtly military. Or, like, right. Militaristic. That's very military. Scientists don't talk like that. As scientists, we can both guarantee you that we don't talk like that. Yep. No, we do people. Not, I've never, I can't tell you how many unprofessional conversations I've had in the middle of like running experiments in a lab, but we do not talk like that. No, <laughs> I've, I've that. never said sir to a single boss that I've had when we're having a lab <laughs> maybe, meeting. Maybe sarcastically. I mean, <laughs> but that might be it. That might be it. Yeah. So we have, we have that like militaristic feel, but I also think that that exchange was really strange because as we get to know and love Commander Riker, mm-hmm. He's very like informal and kind of an mm-hmm. affable, like mm-hmm. approachable guy. So, so for him to be like prickling at LaForge for not giving him all this due like diligence is just, or not the due diligence, but like this kind right. of service is mm-hmm. like, ugh, Riker. It's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a little weird. And also his like, um, can we call it racism? I don't know. But his prejudice against data and Data even calls it out. He's like, prejudice is a very human emotion, right? When Data's, when he's just kind of, when they meet That's in the forest right. and he's like, you're not human. Like you're, you know, and he's looking at him kind of funny and kind of sideways. And he's just like, so I guess you just have this honorary, you know, commission. And he's like, no, I, I earned it. I went to Starfleet Academy. I earned everything. And he's like, hmm, you know, and he's kind of like, yeah, he's just looking at him sideways. And then he's like, yeah, humans are, are often prejudiced. And Data just says it very like, matter factly like data always says things yep and then he has this comment where he's like wait a minute that concerns me like do you think that you're better than humans and data's like i am better than humans <laughs> he's just like very <laughs> sure. he's like yes i i am in fact superior you know and he was like but that's why i want to be a human you know that 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 makes me feel like more set apart from humans yeah um do, and then and then record kind of like relaxes yeah, I do love that scene in particular because one of my favorite places that I would ever visit on the Enterprise if I were to live on the Enterprise is the holodeck. I'd be on the holodeck every minute I had downtime, man. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And I don't think that there was a holodeck or anything like that on the original Star Trek. I'm not 100% yeah, I'm not 100% sure either. If you know, let us know. Like hit us up on Instagram at the TNG podcast and let us know if there was a holodeck if you are a fan of the original series, because neither of us is going to watch that to find no, out. So just, just let us, <laughs> just let us know. Cause I don't remember yet. And I think we're a lot closer with like VR and stuff today. We're a lot closer to holodeck technology totally. than we are to hypersprays. So totally. So you got to take the good with the bad, I guess. So mm-hmm. they're actually this scene when commander Riker meets, um, Lieutenant commander data, 
um, is interesting because it's like one of these little asides that really doesn't have anything to do with the plot, mm -hmm. but it just sort of like gives us a deeper look into these characters because mm -hmm. this being the pilot episode, if you're a first time watcher, I will say now that we're all in quarantine because of um, coronavirus, a lot of people um, I've seen on Reddit are like, hey, I'm going back and I'm watching Star Trek The Next Generation from the beginning all over again because there's not a lot to do right now. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of people who are saying, hey, now that I have the time, I'm actually watching it for the first time. Mm -hmm. So hang out with us and come along with us because we are going to be doing an episode by episode breakdown. But this particular scene was really cool because it just gave us a little look into their, into their character. Mm -hmm. And as we're learning more about who these characters are, like what's their driving motivation, like what, what, like what drives them. It's, that was actually really interesting. Another weird little aside that had literally nothing to do with the plot but was lip service to original Star Trek fans. And I don't know if you picked up on this. I Sharif. did. Oh, was sorry. Let me, let me have you say it before. Was yes, it that's moment? exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 So. And I was like, are they going to actually do something with this character? Like, are they going to, are they going to no. talk to? And so I'm no. waiting. I was like, oh my gosh, that's Bones. I'm waiting for them to like even say Bones or something. I'm like waiting for I it and waiting for it. I know. And then they just said some, some special admiral. They didn't even yes. bother to say his name. They didn't even bother to say McCoy, like nothing, nothing. So I actually had to look it up because I went, wait a second, is that Bones? And then I had to Google it and then it gave me his name and I was like, oh yeah, that's his name. Like, I don't care. But, but yeah, so at some point in the plot to, to justify this being as part of like the pilot episode, mm -hmm. they're saying, well, we have this Admiral who's a doctor who's over kind of inspecting the new sick bay. Um, and that's it. And then you see Data and Bones, who's now 137 years old, mm -hmm. walking down the corridor, and he basically gives his blessing to, to the Enterprise, and he does say something that's kind of sweet, and he's like, you know, it has the right name, and mm -hmm. you treat her well, and she'll always get you back home. And that was kind yeah. of cute. I, think I thought that was really sweet. And, yeah. and I also thought they were going to do something else with that character. So yeah. I was like, oh, this is so sweet. He just got on the ship. I wonder what else they're going to do. And then, Nothing. you know, and then 60 <laughs> minutes later, the um, episode's <laughs> over and we never see him again. <laughs> like, oh, well, why did, why did we put him on in the first place then? Because that would have been, I don't know. That just, even, even just to have like a handoff with him and Beverly would have been kind of neat. That would have been way more meaningful than Data. Like what the hell is Data doing with him? What I mean, it's fine for Data to like, bring him on the ship but I think he needed just one more like a like a closing moment or something because yes, there was yes. like an opening moment of like oh look it's McCoy and then it was right? just like and moving on so in other words yes totally 100% like it was it was a nice little passing the baton it was a nice little like lip service and I imagine because Star Trek The Next Generation was the first iteration of Star Trek that wasn't the original series mm -hmm. so I wonder if they we're afraid they may not get that crossover of like original viewers. So I think right. they pulled that in to be like, see, see, we have like, you know, an original character, <clears throat> but it was, it was cute for five seconds and then it was over and we never saw him again. So it had nothing to do with anything, but okay. We got to see Bones. So that was pretty cool. Yep. First episode, just weird. It was just <clears throat> weird. It was weird. And I, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, to rewatching some of these episodes because I feel like that's going to happen a lot where it's going to be like, what was going on in this episode? Like I didn't get that as a kid. And now I'm like, yeah. what? Um, <laughs> but then there are all, also other episodes that I'm obsessed with and I watch over and over and over. So it's just going to be, it's going to be really fun. And I think we're definitely going to like share that too. When we talk about like, this was like a fan favorite episode or one of my favorites or one that I hated. Like I didn't love, um, I didn't love this episode plot wise. What I did love though about this episode is because it's a new ship and all the characters are getting to know they're like, they're like, command post or mm -hmm. whatever for like this however many years are going to be on the ship 
it gave like wonderful sweeping views of like the bridge and made mm-hmm. engineering and all that. And that mm-hmm. was like, so that cool. was like nerd porn right there. It was super cool. It's like, it's oh my so God, cool. here's the warp core and here's the bridge, which by the way, that bridge, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is still the best Starfleet bridge ever. Like it yeah. is elegant and cool. The old bridge was much more, um, like an office, right? Yes. Like an open was, office plan. Yes, it kind of was. And it was very much, um, uh, like really focused on like the task at hand. There were no frills to it. Mm-hmm. It was like, here's a bunch of knobs and buttons all over the place for any sort of given reason. Right. Mm-hmm. This was much more like thought out. Like there was this beautiful sort of arcing kind of bridge. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Where Worf stood at after, um, Batashi Yar was there first. Mm-hmm. And then you had like engineering sort of docks and places where like LaForge and Wesley Crusher would, would go to when they needed like further information. Mm-hmm. It was so well thought out. I love the, that the captain has a ready room. Like I just loved everything about this design <laughs> on Star Trek Next Generation. It's just so like pleasant to look at. And still 30 some odd years later, mm-hmm. it still stands up and it still looks amazing. Yeah. Like the original Star Trek one looks so jokey and crappy and like cheesy to me, but mm-hmm. like this one, like still stands up as like, it stands the test of time. The set designers and the, you know, the set builders did such a phenomenal job putting that together. Yeah. And I think, um, and we'll see as we keep going through the episodes, but I think they do beef up the bridge over time. They, they add do. more knobs and buttons and whatever. They add a little more jazz to it over time and they add more crew as well mm-hmm. so that you see the people in the back, you know, doing important things. Um, whatever it is people, that they do. Yeah, wh- whatever it is that they do. Cause we don't know these people, they don't get names or anything, but they're back there looking busy. Um, oh. One of the things that I really loved about the ship that was so cool. And I'm like, whatever happened to this was that ship GPS, right? When Riker was looking for data and it was like, just follow this little beep. And I was like, what? How long have they had this? Why don't they ever use this? They just go, you know, they're in holodeck too. And they're like, okay. And they leave. But the little GPS that's like, doop, doop, doop. It follows you around. It's kind of like on an airplane when they have the lights for you. Yes, to like that's exactly what it is. Like the emergency lights, but instead it's like this little guy that tells you, go this way, get into this turbo, yes. go this way. I was like, what? That, that is neat. cool. I wish they would have explored that more, but I guess it wouldn't have made sense for the plot because now you've been serving on this ship. Yeah, which you is, should know where stuff is. But you, yeah, you've been serving on it for like three and a half decades already. Like, you know where Holodeck 2 is. Yeah. Or, or Transporter Room 3, which is the only Transporter Room they actually have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we decided. If you, if you, yeah, if you notice, they never mentioned Transporter Room 1 or 2, I don't think. Um, we'll find out though. We'll see. We'll see as we go. But uh, that's kind of like a weird Star Trek-ism is they just focus on the one room they have and it's like often number three. Sometimes it's yeah. number two, cargo never bay number three, one, transporter never one. Three. Yeah, mm-hmm. nobody, I guess Transporter Room 1 and Cargo Bay 1 are like the redheaded stepchildren. Like nobody wants yeah. them. <laughs> They're just used too much. They were overdone that they just wanted to use something different. Yeah, Ooh, I, I really like the GPS thing though. That was neat. Um, I do have a fun fact about uh-huh. the Transporter. Um, in order to also pay homage to the original Star Trek, the ceiling of the Transporter pad is the floor of the original Star Trek Enterprises transporter beams or oh, whatever that's they call neat. it. Yeah, so they recycled the floor and made it the ceiling, so they always kind of kept a piece of, like, the original. Oh, that's really sweet. That's right? pretty cool. Thank you, Google and Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> because I wouldn't have, I would not have watched it or seen it or noticed it because I didn't watch the first series, nor will I. Yeah. <laughs> not so, so it would have been, would have remained a mystery. Yes. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I, I was definitely a fan of just, like, yeah, the sets are really cool. How they do them, I don't even know. One thing that I thought was interesting about the ship was the saucer separation. Oh um, my god! Which I think they uh, only do like two 
I only remember two times in the entire seven seasons that they yeah. do this. And this is the first one. And they like dust it off and use it again in like season three or something. And then they're, yes. they're just like done with that. Yes. But when they separated, I was thinking several things. One thing I saw all the families rushing down the corridors and I was like, this is why you don't have families on a freaking battleship. <laughs> what in the world? That was oh one my thing. Gosh. Can I just jump in on that real yeah. quick? I have a shorty alert. Uh, because at 14 minutes and 41 seconds, we see the families being evacuated and also a Starfleet officer in a red, like shorty dress, kind of like the old school uniforms Mm -hmm. with very toned legs goes marching past. (laughs) And it was the only time that you see a man in a shorty uniform. So clearly I will pick out like in other episodes when we see them again, but they're often just kind of like a little teeny tiny bit in the background or whatever. Mm -hmm. But this was like in your face, a man in a shorty. And you know what? I don't love it. I really, I don't like those uniforms. I can't. Yeah. Them. You don't, don't like them on men. Like you don't women. like them on women. Yeah. I don't like them on, like on fish. <laughs> nothing. Just nothing. So we got these families evacuating, which I'm like, okay, I guess you have to do that when you have families on the ship. Okay. Um, and then when it separates and like the battle bridge goes to fight Q, I'm like, okay, it looks like, I mean, that's where you see the warp nacelles, right? So I'm like, wait a minute. So the warp core is on that bottom part. So that top part, like that saucer part, I know it can only go on impulse. So how, how are you going to outrun something on impulse power? How are you going to un- outrun something that's doing like warp 9.9 and you're on impulse power? And I think, and the, and the whole thing with data being like, don't separate at warp. It's so dangerous. It's ridiculously Ugh. dangerous. It's going to kill us. But it did, they didn't even, there wasn't even a bump. Like they didn't even fall over on the set or anything, whatever. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, so I'm thinking like you're going at 9.5 or however fast the enterprise D could actually go. You separate the saucer and it's just like momentum, right? It's just like, the yes. warp momentum just carrying the saucer as far as it can go till it runs out of steam and it's pottering <laughs> along on impulse power. Well, and I just thought second, that though, wasn't well thought out. I don't hold know. Hold on a second though. As a scientist, we can say we know that an object that is put in motion stays in motion and in space, there's no, there's there's no, no airflow this or true. anything. This is true. That inertia will just carry it infinitely. So. so then how did it stop? I guess it still has brakes. <laughs> Whatever they do. <laughs> because it's only going to be able to use impulse power to reverse its thrusters as well. So you're right. That's true. There's no friction. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me on that. So they will be going on that, on that warp 9.5 forever, (laughs) but there must've been something because the battle bridge still makes it to far point station before the saucer section, which I was like, well, of course it does because it has the warp core, but now if we're saying there's no friction, then this makes no sense. Now we're just back to like, it makes no sense. See, I always, I always intuitively knew, even as a kid, that main, main engineering was in that lower portion. I don't know how I knew that or why I knew that, but mm-hmm. I always felt like that's where it was because that's where you see those like nacelles down at right, the bottom, those right. like, blue things that have the red heads on them. Like that, that just made sense that that's where it was. So that does make, that makes sense to me that like they, they pointed that out in this episode. Um, one thing I will say about the saucer separation was that a, I love that moment. It was so cool. It's like, oh my God, the ship can come out, you know, come away like Legos. That is like, pretty neat. Yeah. This is so amazing. And they totally hammed up that moment also. Like that's the only time in the entire series that they played the entire theme song from start to finish. Like as the ship was separating, uh-huh. we have this Star Trek theme song. But also I always was disappointed, even as a kid, how stupid the lower portion looked without the big disc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like this drive core and then this stupid little head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it looks so lame. Like you guys couldn't have made that look a little better, but okay, whatever. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was always a little disappointing. I also love too, that they, 
that data, which you just mentioned, data does say like, we can't separate, but at extreme risk. I mean, he like could not have handed up for drama any further. And he like pauses what he's doing to turn over and look over his shoulder and go extreme risk. And uh-huh. of course the audience is going, oh shit, like what's going to happen? And yeah. it's, yeah. and it, nothing. It's fine. It's a hundred thousand percent fine. Nothing happens. And then yeah. somehow the battle bridge makes it to Farpoint Station faster. I, my whole thought was because it has the warp core and can actually go at warp. Right. And right. Which also, friction, by so the way, I, it doesn't, it's just, uh, I'm sorry, by the way, uh, you separated the whole purpose of separating the ship was to distract Q. <laughs> like he's a fucking Q. Like he can see that you've separated into two pieces. Like it's not, they set out like photon torpedoes to like blind him temporarily. Like it's going to be like a smoke screen. Like, come on, you guys. Come on. Like, he could see, like, oh, there goes one piece and there goes the other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a Q, so he could be in two places at once. But yeah, he could, he could they didn't know that at the time. They didn't know yeah, that at the time. Anyway, and it worked. It, it worked. It distracted him. He only focused on them. He took them all the way to his secret little, you know. Um, courthouse. Courthouse, but for some reason left O'Brien back. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, why did O'Brien not go with them? Right? <laughs> That's true. He's the only person on the bridge that was not beamed away into this like post-atomic horror like which i didn't even realize horror. until they got beamed back and then they were like data was like so what are we still you know what's our heading and he's like oh the same heading it's been yeah we're just going to farpoint station <laughs> I why think- would you leave the the pilot like does it matter you just took him out of time like we don't it doesn't matter if no one's driving the ship right right okay them back at the exact time you took them right okay so th- that's one thing too it's like there are there are um six people on the bridge and you zap away five like <laughs> Man, with if, O'Brien? If, O'Brien, if O'Brien doesn't have fear of missing out after this, then I don't know what. <laughs> he just got left alone on the battle bridge alone while like, I mean, I guess time stopped or whatever. So we can, we can talk Who about knows? it. But yeah. when they're in this courthouse or this courtroom or whatever, one of the things that made me laugh was when they were being put on trial, <laughs> um, one of the like clerks or whatever of this court room hands Picard the list of charges and basically their Q is charging the the like crew of the enterprise with like the, the like mass crimes of right. like humanity of like being a savage race or whatever right mm-hmm. but when he hands him that device it's just it's so clearly like an etch-a-sketch that's been painted gold and has like a knob attached to the top like <laughs> I, I, I was expecting like him to shake it when he was done and be like I <laughs> It's, that was I love all the practical effects on the show. The, the the effects really, for the most part, on Star Trek TNG really stand up even to like rewatching today. Like the transporter looks good. Like you know, mm-hmm. so much of it looks amazing. But there were some moments where it was so cheesy that you're being handed a spray painted gold etch a sketch with like a little like knob. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about coming up with things out of nothing. Like yeah. so much, so much what I'm going to call technology has come yes, out of the Star Trek universe. And these are things that people just thought up in their heads. They were just like, uh, I don't know. Let's like, maybe like, it's like a square, kind of like an etch sketch, but then like you paint it. Right. And so it's kind of like this gold kind of etch sketch shape, but it does this and does that. And you're kind of like, I mean, I, I can't, I can't really give them too much flack about it because it's hard to invent something that's never existed before. Right. Right. In a world, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years from now where you're just like, what would even, what would that even look like? I mean, there's a point where Picard says, we're not going to do anything over subspace communications or whatever. We're not going to do anything over the comms because Q can hear us maybe. 
Mm-hmm. So only things print out. And as far as I know, this is the only time they ever mentioned the word print ever in the Star Trek universe. Yes. Nothing is printed. Everything is digital. And you're like, do they even have printers? Do they use paper? Have you ever seen them use paper on a pen? No, because they always use those pads. So I mean, even something like that, where you're just like, you have to imagine that this far into the future, we would have outgrown the need to even use pencil and paper, which is kind of a weird thing. You're totally, you're totally right. Like a lot of the things that we use um, today, like would never, ever be used. You know, like we don't use papyrus scrolls like the ancient Egyptians did. Like that's, I mean, we still have paper, but it's not like to that it's not that level of like old. Um, there are a couple of times in the entire series where like words like that kind of catch my ear and I go, that's not something that would have been said at the time, like printout. Um, later, way later in like season three or four, or whatever, they're talking to some scientist and he says, Captain Picard says, you know, we're going to have our scientific team come down and check out whatever you guys are, blah, blah, blah. And the scientist goes, okie dokie. <laughs> and I thought, huh? <laughs> like that doesn't make sense. Like, first of all, that's not, very professional, <laughs> but I think he's just like, okay, or okie dokie. It's not like that wouldn't be said in the 24th century. So. <laughs> Hundreds no. of years from now, we will, re- we will have retired the phrase okie dokie. You're right here <laughs> first, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. The 21st century shall not bear the term okie or dokie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Very quickly wrapping up the plot and there are some like funny moments. Um, one of the things that really made me pause was when we get to Farpoint Station, which is this like uniquely perfect station that like perfectly meets all the crew members' needs, even when they say um, like, oh, I wish I had X, Y, Z, and then that thing shows up magically in front of them, which raises some suspicion. Um, we meet Commander Riker for the first time and Jordy LaForge a little later, but he he's introduced to Dr. Crusher and her son, Wesley Crusher, who I love so much. And as a like seven-year-old girl and all the way up until like the seven seasons, just had such a crush on him. Oh my God. Mm, totally. 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 Like a, like a teenage dream boat for all of the like little mm-hmm. kid watchers that were, mm-hmm. you know, watching with their parents or whatever. He's like we the see- original boy band member. Oh, just, oh my God. He's so, so pretty, dreamy, right? <laughs> so dreamy. Um, so we see Commander Riker and he's already suspicious about what the hell is going on at Farpoint. And he meets Dr. Crusher for the first time. And she is so standoffish. Did you notice that? She was I so did because rude. Wesley even mentioned it. He was like, uh, my mom's not unfriendly. She <laughs> just doesn't like new people or something like that. Like he's all apologizing because Wesley and Riker are friends somehow because he's like, oh, hey, Wes, how's it going? And he's like, oh, hey, Commander Riker. Like they're buddies. Yeah. He's like, oh, they and this like is my mom. Yeah. And she's all like, Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Nice to meet you. Whatever. And you're just like, okay. So he I'm is, glad they changed up that character. Oh my God. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I love Dr. Crusher. I wanted to be Dr. Crusher when I was a kid. Um, I mean, I wanted to be a doctor because Dr. Crusher, <laughs> you know, was a doctor on the show, but um, Riker is sitting there going, Hey, Dr. Crusher, I have some suspicions about this station. Right. And since Starfleet has sent us here to do some poking around, we should probably talk about this very important question right. mark that's hanging over and she's like well I guess I'm gonna do some shopping <laughs> it's like yeah wait, like how do you not what she totally she totally blew him off and then she had to eat her words like 10 seconds later right when they changed the when that fabric changed before her eyes and then she was like yes they were like what were we talking about and she was like well you were just telling me that there was a really important question I was just blowing you off yes. and now this is me saying I was wrong and you were right <laughs> she literally cut him off when he's like there's some suspicious stuff and she goes "Ooh, I think I'm gonna check over at this stall like what the hell woman your commanding officer is trying to talk to you about the mm-hmm. mission and mm-hmm. you're sitting there showing him that you 
couldn't be less interested. She's basically like, listen, I haven't gotten on the ship yet. My duty hasn't started. Right. Like I'm shocked. Right. And he gave, and he snapped at Doherty for not giving the official report, but he's like kowtowing to like, to Beverly, like, um, excuse me, um, excuse me, doctor. Wait a minute. You are the first officer on the ship. You are her commanding officer. Be like, uh, this is an official report lady. Like get with the program. Get with it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so we find that the mystery to Farpoint is that it's a living creature that is trapped and is like producing all of this like energy. It's basically like, I think the the transporter. Yeah, it's basically like a giant holodeck or something, right? Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. made like this perfect station. Yeah. And we know this because another of its kind has like shown up and is starting to, you know, it's blowing up the old bandy city, which by the way, is very like somebody who's playing cowboys and Indians. Yeah, and it's very Wild West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it's very like Wild West. Um, and so there were like, no bandy in that city that I could right. see. There was no people running, screaming, no ambulances no. or anything. <laughs> But like when they're, when Data and Riker are looking at the city being blown up, they're like heavy casualties. I was like, oh, I thought that was an abandoned city and everyone's at the Farpoint station. That's what I was, that's what it looks like. But yeah, anyways, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of the, one of the few glitches in the show, but it threatens to blow up the enterprise. It's blowing up this old city and then they finally figure it out. Right. Which is pretty cool. And then it turns out it's this like sea creature, which as a marine biologist, I got to say that was the the effect the special effect that they used was really weird mm-hmm. slash tacky it was not their best special effects moment but i did recognize the top as a moon jelly so Ooh. moon jellies don't have tentacles like that like the way those two creatures were kind of like holding yeah hands or tentacles or whatever yeah but it very clearly was like a moon jelly up top and uh-huh. then they kind of did like some little they probably created these little structures to sort of hang from like whatever they were filming but mm-hmm. yeah my marine biology nerd alert went off and I was like, Oh, moon jellies. Like those are cool. They're super cool. And, and there you go. Marine biologist telling you first, <laughs> you heard not it that first. it has any bearing whatsoever, but I just had to tell you because I have a podcast and I'm a nerd. So I'm going to say it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then to follow up with the nerd comment, um, <laughs> when the two, when the two moon jellies, when the two space moon jellies fly <laughs> off together, did you notice that like one was pink and one was blue? Yes. And I how Picard was like, oh, they're mates. And I was like, really? They're, they're, they're still doing the blue, the blue pink thing? We're yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh okay, my God. do we need to know which one's female? Does there oh need to God. be a female? Please, they're jellyfish. You read my mind. Yeah. Big time. Like, I was like, do we need to know which one is which? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. yeah so like, as far as the, the space moon jellies holding tentacles lovingly while they flew off into space, <laughs> not super sure that that's necessary. I don't know. Made no sense. The other fun little fact about jellies is when they reproduce, they only do it at a certain season of the year. Mm-hmm. And they, um, it's energetically like very expensive to have like egg and sperm just kind of hanging out. And so they create, and the technical term is temporary gonads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they create these temporary gonads, they produce their egg and sperm, they like spoof it off into the water and then they just swim away and that's it. And then they kind of, after that mating season's over, they just sort of like get reabsorbed by the body and they disappear. So only certain times a year, you'll see temporary gonads show up, which, you know, thank God we don't have something like that. (laughs) I don't know. It might make things a little more interesting. So then in those, in those moon jellies that have the temporary gonads, are there even male and female or are they all both? I don't quote me on this, but if I recall correctly, sometimes they grow male gonads and sometimes female. So it isn't like I'm pink. So I'm the girl I'm blue. So I'm the boy, like none of that nonsense. Okay. 
it's in the Star Trek like universe, so it's whatever. But yeah, I saw that and I, I noticed it as well. And I was like, come on, guys. <laughs> That's not needed. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean they 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 do explore issues of sexuality and gender roles further on in the seasons. I mean, they're gonna talk about sexuality in our very next episode, but oh my god, later on in the so seasons they do talk about they do talk about gender roles and like what that could look like in alien species, which I think is really interesting. And I think that's yeah. kind of what they're trying to get at with the guys wearing short short skirts. Is it kind of be like, well, let's mix it up. But then, you know, I guess the feedback was negative because that didn't last for too long before they were like, no, no let's just all wear pants. Yeah, let's, um, let's everybody put some pants on. But everybody I do, I do just put some pants on. I do appreciate that, that were, they were trying to work with that sort of like gender fluid kind of uniform. Like right. it doesn't matter. By the 20- Especially in the 80s, that was not like very common. Yeah, big time. Like it doesn't matter if you're a man, if you're a woman, like it, everybody is just serving on the ship and everybody's just going to wear a uniform. So I do appreciate that they were trying to make that just a statement like skirts are not just for girls in the 24th century. Mm-hmm. In the 20th century, it looked ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah. we got rid of it. Um, yeah. Ooh, one of the other things that doesn't matter in the 24th century, and I love that um, Patrick Stewart, who just is such a teddy bear in my mind, like he's just so sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, he had said that um, by the 24th century, nobody would care about baldness, which is why they didn't try to like make him wear a wig like during the show because mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry couldn't wrap his mind around a bald captain and he thought it wouldn't be commanding enough or sexy enough or whatever. And so they actually had Patrick Stewart do screen tests wearing like a hairpiece. And I'm going to post that picture up on um, the TNG podcast on our Instagram. So follow us and check that out because it's pretty spectacular to see Patrick Stewart in 1987 in a Starfleet uniform and a freaking headpiece, like a wig. Yeah. Um, Toupee and it's epic and it looks, it looks legit. It looks really good. It does look. I liked it. I freaked Andrea out. I liked it. I think I'm so used to him being bald that I was like, no, 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 no. What is this? What is this? But I'll put that picture up there so you guys can check it out. So what they decided was, we're just going to have him be himself. And by the 24th century, nobody will even care about being bald. I think a fan had asked Gene Roddenberry at some point on the street, why hadn't they come up for a cure for baldness by the 24th century? To which he said, by the 24th century, no one will care anymore. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cure. The cure was a cure to vanity. Yes. Not a cure to baldness. Yes. Interesting. I, I love that humans are evolved in mm-hmm. the 24th century. There's no need for money. They don't really yeah. themselves. Like vanity's not really a thing anymore. I like, do like how they all work for fun, right? They everybody <laughs> who's in everyone who's in Starfleet is like a volunteer. No one gets yeah, paid. I know, right? <laughs> You're like what? Dedicate, dedicate years of your life, like years and years and years. Yes. So earning a commission doesn't even really make total sense because they don't get anything. I mean, you get rank and standing. They don't get money. They they don't they don't deal in money. They just work. They just work their passion. They just do what's fun. And I cannot imagine a world where everybody does that. But it sounds really exciting. Well, it's because we are not evolved enough yet, Cherise. Ah, that's why. (laughs) Okie dokie. (laughs) All right. So we are gonna. I think we've wrapped the episode about as best as we're going to at this point. Um, Check us out next time for season. One episode two, the naked now, which that name is very, very titillating. Gotta tell you, mm-hmm. yeah, There's a lot of question marks that come up when I hear the naked now. Yeah, not sure about that title, but um, but it's a great episode. <laughs> so, uh, we will see you guys next time. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at the tngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time. <laughs>